Hello, everybody. We're back with Welcome. Beyond Illusion and Doubt. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome. Uh, hold up, hold up a little audience applause. <laughs> yeah, audience applause. Audience. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're reading Chapter Five, Augustine, uh, yes. and we may go ahead and read Chapter Six today in the same, uh, but not in the same episode. So yeah, we don't want to affect anything. But uh, yeah, it's real nice and short. Sweet. Yeah, so I think thank you everybody. Hopefully everybody's thank doing you. well. Yeah. Uh, it's been quite it's been a safe. passionate time in the past couple of weeks with everybody, in, you know, at least in the United States of America. Mm. I feel like my shoulders can actually like, yeah, relax <laughs> for the first time in four years. Yeah, it's not uh, that anyway. Yeah, yeah, good lord, Jesus. But just, um, just one more thing that's like a weight on your shoulders. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <sighs> Um, cool. So we Dive will. Right we can just get right into it. Do you want to read it as disciple or Prabhupada? Um, I think last time you did Prabhupada. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, that, that worked. I think you're right. I couldn't remember, matter. but now that you said that, I think I do remember. <clears throat> right. All right. Chapter five. Augustine. <clears throat> so I'm most. Reading, I'm reading as disciple. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you okay. start. I'll just. I'll go ahead and just start off since he starts. Most religious scholars regard Augustine, uh, A.D. 354 to 430, as the main father of the Roman Catholic Church and one of the leading formulators of Christian philosophy. He wrote, Reincarnation is ridiculous. There is no such thing as the return to this life for the punishment of souls. Read Shri Prabhupada's response below. So the disciple begins, <clears throat> Augustine considered the soul to be spiritual and different from the material body. But he also believed that the soul did not exist before the body's birth. He simply supposed that the soul is the superior part of the person and the body the inferior part. He also thought that the soul attains immortality only after God creates it, only after God brings it into being. At death, Augustine said the soul goes on to live eternally. But if the soul is created, how is it immortal? How is it eternal? How can the soul sometimes not be eternal? Well, first of all, Augustine considered that because of Adam's fall, all men are subject to the death of the body. In addition, Augustine believed that while God destines some men to enjoy everlasting happiness after death, he destines others to undergo everlasting suffering. In other words, Augustine said that some people endure both physical death when the soul abandons the body and soul death when God abandons the, abandons the soul. Thus, when one is damned, he faces not only physical death, but also soul death. Figuratively speaking, when one forgets his identity as a servant of God, he undergoes a kind of death, but actually the soul is eternal. So what Augustine calls soul death is actually forgetfulness of God. Of course, until one acquires freedom from material existence, one is spiritually dead, even though still existing in the material form. Forgetfulness of one's real identity is a kind of death, because only when one is alive to God consciousness is he actually alive. In any case, the soul is eternal and survives the annihilation of the body. Augustine would consider that in some cases the forgetful stage is everlasting, that God eternally abandons the damned soul to eternal perdition. <clears throat> this is not so, thank God. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I just, that yeah. sounds so like grim. Uh, our consciousness can always be revived. 
And that is the conviction of this Krishna consciousness movement. A man is unconscious when he is sleeping, but if you call him again and again, the sound of his name enters his ears and he awakens. Similarly, this process of chanting the Hare Krishna mantra awakens one to spiritual consciousness. Right. <laughs> I've never like that's thought about pretty, it like yeah, that. That's a pretty astute way to put it. Then one can return to his normal spiritual life. Of course, one may be eternally abandoned in the sense that one may remain forgetful for millions of years. It may seem eternal, but actually one's spiritual consciousness can be revived at any moment by good association, by the method of hearing and chanting about Krishna. Devotional service, therefore, begins with shravanam, hearing. Again, for anyone that's listening that is not, you know, maybe when we say Krishna it just refers to God I know we've said it many times but I just feel to reiterate it it's just the name that we choose to call God which means he who attracts everything yeah the all attractive so, one. the all attractive one so Krishna God <clears throat> you know if you, you know anyway devotional service therefore begins with Shravanam hearing in the beginning especially hearing is very important if one hears the truth from a self-realized soul, one can awaken to spiritual life and remain spiritually alive in devotional service. Augustine rejected the idea that the various material bodies in this world are like prisons for the punishment of sin. The soul is essentially part and parcel of God. But in this material world, the soul is factually imprisoned in different types of bodies. In the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 14, text 4, Krishna says, Sarva yoni shukanteya murtaya sambhavantiya tasam brahma mahadyonir aham bija pradapita. It should translation. It should be understood that all species of life, O son of Kunti, are made possible by birth in this material nature, and that I am the seed giving father. For material nature, the mother Oh, end translation. Elsewhere in the Bhagavatam, just as a little side note, oh, you're, yeah, you're about to drop your thing. <clears throat> so when he says, I'm the seed-giving father, he, you know, I take it as him referring to the actual act of implanting the consciousness within the you know actually implanting the consciousness into the embryo so you know it's it's due to his potency that consciousness which is a symptom of the soul which is a part of him is getting uh, anyway for material nature the mother different species are coming the living entities are found in earth water air and even fire the individual souls, however, are part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, who impregnates them within this material world. The living entity then comes out into the material world through the womb of some mother. It appears that the soul is coming out of matter, but the soul is not composed of matter. The soul, always part and parcel of God, simply assumes different types of bodies according to his pious or impious activities and desires. The desires of the soul actually determine higher or lower bodies. But in any case, the soul is the same. 
It is therefore said that those who are advanced in spiritual consciousness see the same quality of soul in each and every body, whether it is the body of a dog or a brahmana. Also, Srila Prabhupada, Augustine considered the soul to be created to inhabit only one particular body, which he felt was a gift from God. <clears throat> Augustine thus rejected reincarnation or transmigration. He wrote, let these Platonists stop threatening us with reincarnation as a punishment for our souls. Reincar reincarnation is ridiculous. There is no such thing as to return to this life for the punishment of souls. If our creation, even as mortals, is due to God, how can they return to bodies which are gifts of God by the return to bodies which are gifts of God be punishment? In other words, if the body is a gift of God, how can it also be a punishment? I have... I just find it ridiculous, to use his word. So you think reincarnation... He thinks reincarnation is ridiculous, yet the idea that a soul can be sent to hell for eternity is not ridiculous. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. okay, whatever. All right, Srila Prabhupada. Does he think that when someone takes the body of a hog or a similar lower creature, that is not punishment? Why does one person get the body of King Indra or Lord Brahma and another the body of a pig or an insect? How does he explain the body of a pig? If the body is a gift from God, it can also be a punishment from God. When one is rewarded, he gets the body of a Brahma or an Indra, and if he is punished, he gets the body of a pig. So the degree of punishment or suffering depends on the kind of body one has? Yes. There are many people who are well situated, and there are others who are suffering. Suffering and enjoyment takes place according to one's body. That is explained in the Bhagavad Gita 2.14. Matra sparshas tukonteya sitoshna sukadukada agamapayino nityas tamstatikshas babharata. O son of Kunti, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, O scion of Bharat, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. In translation, a man may perceive cold very acutely while a fish may not perceive it. So the perception is relative to the body. Thus, the body is a source of suffering and enjoyment, or we may consider it as punishment and reward. What about the human body? Is that a gift or a punishment? It is both. In the human form of life, as in other forms, material nature punishes the living entity with so much suffering. But at the same time, you can consider human life a gift, because in the human form, we can approach God. We should think that if God has given us this body for our punishment, it is his mercy because by undergoing his punishment willingly and practicing Krishna consciousness, we may become purified and pro progress towards God. Devotees think in this way. Although the body is a form of punishment, they consider it a reward because by undergoing the punishment, they are progressing towards God realization. Even when the body is given by God for our correction, it can thus be considered a gift. According to Augustine, the physical body precedes the spiritual. He writes, if there is a natural physical body, there is also a spiritual body. But it is not the spiritual that comes first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. No. Every living entity has an eternal spiritual body, which exists before he takes on a material body. 
As we've said, entering the material body is a kind of punishment. Every soul is eternally part and parcel of God. But because of some sinful activity, the living entity comes into this material world. By sinful, it doesn't... We've talked about this before, but it doesn't mean that while with God you did something heinous, like in the example of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Sinful meaning you did something which accrues a reaction. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad. That's generally what he means when he refers to sin. It's not like in the Christian sense where it just means only evil. Yeah. <clears throat> so the sin that we originally commit is thinking that we want to try, we want to be the enjoyer, we want to know what it's like. You know, I explained to Shruti the other day, like, you know, there's a part of you when you see a famous person on TV, there's a little part yeah. of you sometimes that's like, oh, wow, I wonder what it would be like to be the center of attention like that. Yeah. That is the sin that we commit. And because Krishna resides... You know, he's omnipotent. He he can understand. He has a personal relationship with everybody. And so, because he loves us so much, according to, you know, our philosophy, he's able to instantly understand our desire, and he grants us our desire because of the love that he has for us. Yeah. So that is... Anyway. <clears throat> Uh, oh God, where was I? Okay. Every soul is eternally part and parcel of God, but because of some sinful activity, the living entity comes into this material world. In the Bible, it is said that due to disobedience to God, wow, what the heck, <laughs> Adam and Eve lost paradise and had to come into the material world. The soul belongs to the paradise in heaven, the planets of Krishna, but somehow or other, he falls within this material world and takes on a material body. According to one's activities, one is elevated or degraded as a demigod, human being, animal, or plant. In any case, the soul is always aloof from the material body. This is confirmed by the Vedic literature. Our actual spiritual life is revived when we are freed from the material contamination, or in other words, from reincarnation. Augustine conceived of a spiritual world in which all of the souls would be in bliss and would be eternally loving and glorifying God. They would still possess freedom of will, but sin would have no power to tempt them. Yes, sin cannot touch one who remains in contact with God. According to our desires, we associate with the modes of material nature and acquire different types of bodies. Nature, the agent of Krishna, affords us facilities by giving us a material body which is like a machine. When a son insists, Father, please give me a bicycle, the affectionate father, complies. This is similar to our relationship with Krishna, as he explains in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 1861. The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart, O Arjuna, and is directing the wanderings of all living entities, who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. The Supreme Father, Krishna, is within the core of everyone's heart. As the living entity desires, the Father supplies a body manufactured by material nature. This body is destined to suffer 
but the spiritual bodies in Vaikuntha are not subject to birth, old age, disease, or even of the threefold, or, I'm sorry, are not subject to birth, old age, disease, or death, or the threefold miseries. The spiritual bodies are eternal and full of knowledge and bliss. Augustine seems to admit the transcendence and omnipresence of God, but he seems at the same time to reject his existence as the localized paramatma, or supersoul, accompanying each individual soul. He writes, God is not the soul of all things, but the maker of all souls. Then how, oh, I'm sorry. then how is God omnipresent? The Paramatma is described as the all-pervading supersoul, both in the Brahma Samhita and the Bhagavad Gita. Besides the verse I have just mentioned, elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita, 1323, Krishna says, Upa cha bharta bhokta maheshwara. Yet in this body there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord, the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer and the permitter, and who is known as the Supersoul. The Supersoul is also present within every atom. Vishtabhyayam idam krishnam ekam shenashtito jagat. With a single fragment of myself, I pervade and support this entire universe. Bhagavad Gita 10.42 So God's all-pervading Paramatma feature cannot be denied. For Augustine, the human mind and soul, he called it the reasonable soul, were one and the same. No, they are different. The soul is placed in various bodies that have different ways of thinking and feeling and willing. Thinking, feeling, and willing. Different minds. For instance, a dog's mind is not equal to that of a human being, but this is not to say that a dog does not have a soul. So the mind differs according to the body, but the soul always remains the same. Well, because he lumped together the soul and the mind, Augustine held that the souls of animals are not the same as the eternal, reasonable souls of human beings. In this way, he could justify animal killing. He wrote, <coughs> quote, Indeed, some people try to stretch the prohibition, thou shalt not kill, to cover beasts and cattle, and make it unlawful to kill any such animal. But then why not include plants and anything rooted in and feeding on the soil? Putting this nonsense aside, we do not apply thou shalt not kill to plants, because they have no sensation, or to irrational animals that fly, swim, walk, or creep, because they are linked to us by, asso by no association or common bond. By the Creator's wise ordinance, they are meant for our use, dead or alive. It only remains for us to apply the commandment, Thou shalt not kill, to man alone, oneself and others. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, without qualification. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of course, our Vedic philosophy does admit that one living entity serves as food for another. That is a natural law. As stated in the Srimad Bhagavatam, those animals who have hands eat animals without hands, and the four-legged animals eat animals that cannot move, as well as vegetables. So the weak are food for the strong. One must eat an animal or a vegetable, whatever the case, one must inevitably eat some living entity. It thus becomes a question of selection. However, our Krishna consciousness philosophy does not teach us to select our food on the basis that plant life is less sensitive than animal life, or that animal life is less sensitive than human life. 
We consider all human beings, animals, and plants to be living entities, spirit souls. So apart from vegetarian or non-vegetarian diets, we are basically concerned with Krishna Prashadam, food offered to Krishna with love and devotion. We simply take the remnants of whatever Krishna eats. In the Bhagavad Gita 9.26, Sri Krishna says, Patram pushpam phalam toyam yome bhakta prayachati tadaham uparitam ashnami prayantatmana. Translation, if one offers me with love and devotion a leaf, a flower, a fruit, or water, I will accept it. This is our philosophy. We are concerned with taking the remnants of Krishna's food, which we call prashadam, mercy. Since we want to act on the level of loving devotion to Krishna, we have to find out what he wants and offer him only that. We cannot offer him anything undesirable or unasked for, so meat, fish, and eggs cannot be offered to Krishna. If he desired such things, he would have said so. Instead, he clearly requests that leaves, fruits, flowers, and water be given to him. Therefore, we should understand that he will not accept meat, fish, or eggs. Vegetable grains, fruits, milk, and water are the proper food for human beings and are prescribed in this very verse by Lord Krishna himself. Whatever else we might wish to eat cannot be offered to him since he will not accept it. And thus we cannot be acting on the level of loving devotion to Krishna if we eat such foods. Concerning peace, <laughs> Augustine writes, Peace between a mortal man and his maker consists in ordered obedience, guided by faith under God's eternal law. Yes. Peace means coming in contact with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. A man in ignorance thinks that he is the enjoyer of this world. But when he contacts the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Controller, he understands that God is the enjoyer. A servant supplies the needs of his master, and we are servants meant to supply enjoyment to God. Actually, God has no needs to fulfill. The interesting thing is, according to our philosophy, right, that statement, and we are servants meant to supply enjoyment to God, if that statement doesn't jive with you, and you think, why do I have to be a servant? That's exactly why we're in the material world. If you even have to ask that question, that's why we come here. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, not only it, that, but we're all servants. We, we are. All, I mean, you're a servant of, you're either a servant to yourself you, or a servant to others, a servant right. to your But even pet, most people that think they're kids. servants of themselves, they get themselves pets if they're lonely. They want yeah. to serve a pet. They want to have a significant other that they serve. They have kids that they want to serve. They all create, they just, for, like they, when you put the word out there, they feel like somehow like threatened or controlled mm -hmm. by it. But yet, left to their own devices, people find a way to serve someone, something. Yeah, you have a dog, you're following themselves. it around, scooping if, up its poop. You're a servant to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but even people that serve themselves are usually serving an ideal of some kind that they decide to believe in. So, it's so just, like it's a, just, a societal yeah. ideal. Now right. you're a servant to society right. or, yeah, or some yeah. political you, party or you whatever. You opt for service all the time. So how can you yeah. not say that it's our natural disposition? Yeah, of course. And perfectly following up here, actually God has no needs to fulfill, yet he enjoys the company of his servants, who in turn enjoy his company. A servant is very happy when he receives a good master, and a master is happy to acquire a very faithful servant. This is the relationship. And I think maybe in, you know, nowadays, see, he lived for 50 years in India when it was occupied by the British. 
And even when I was in India, you know, it's very common for the wealthier families to hire someone from a less wealthy family to come in and be the cook or right. the nanny or they're not slaves. They're no. getting paid and there's some reciprocation. And generally from my observance, they, the servants were treated very well. Yeah. And in turn, the servants, you know, kind of, you know, become part of the family. They, you know, the same, same lady comes over to cook meals or to do the laundry or whatever. Yeah. She's getting paid. Some of them have been with the same family for 20, 30 years. And they're, so I think, an, you know, you could also look at another example that may be more relatable to us would be the president and Secret Service. Secret Service find it an honor, except maybe in the last four years, <laughs> to be, you know, the personal protective detail of the president. Wherever he goes, whatever he needs, if someone comes to kill him or put him in harm, you are going to jump in harm's way. Yeah. Like, they, like, there is... Yeah. That's what you're there for. You mm -hmm. consider it an honor, you're getting paid, but the payment is not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, that should be the relationship that we aspire with God. And rather than just being some, you know, he's not going to just sit there and take all this service from everybody and kind of, like, because he's God, he's not going to be nasty and selfish about it. Yeah he is actually able to reciprocate with every single person who's rendering him service like that. He's able to have a fully personal relationship, you know. And the, the more that we, like, cultivate that relationship, the more he'll reciprocate with us and the more you'll begin to understand it. Yeah. But it's not something that you can necessarily explain to someone who is, like, you know, if you're challenging, you're doubtful, whatever... That's where the knowledge comes in. You need to look at the logic, look at the, the philosophy. And then only through practice will you actually start to get result. Yeah. Like, just like you're doing a, you know, a, something in a lab. You follow the instructions. And then as you proceed through the experiment, you start to get your result. So yeah. it's easy to kind of hear briefly the philosophy and just dismiss it. But it's like, well, how can you dismiss something if you haven't actually heard all of the full instructions? Yeah. Like, that's a, and, and it can be daunting. Like, wait, you mean I have to read all of these books before I can decide whether or not I want to accept it? And really, that's what the Bhagavad Gita is for. That sums up everything. So for anyone who is interested, who wants to, like, figure out what it's all about, the Bhagavad Gita is like... The Bhagavad Gita it's as ideal. it is. The Bhagavad Gita as it is... Because there's lots of people that translate the yeah. Bhagavad Gita for their own purposes, just like <clears> happened <throat> with the Bible over the years. And so if you want to read the actual message, you do want to make sure you get one. Of yeah, and then things. when you read it, and you and you and if you like what you read, then you go on, read the Srimad Bhagavatam. Man, that gets yeah. even more deep. Then you have, you know, Chaitanya Charitamrita. I mean, there's so many Vedic books that like... The, you know, as far as you want to pursue certain aspects of the theology and the philosophy, yeah. there's something there, which that is one thing I, you know, I mean, I like, I like reading the Bible, I enjoy it, but it's only, there's, you know, it's, whatever's there is there. Yeah. 
so if you have more, you know, questions and, you know, like some of those things are not, to me at least, answered in there. Yeah. You know, I fully accept the teachings of Jesus. I mean, I think he's a great enlightened soul. I love him. Like, but yet that doesn't mean that you have to like shut yourself off from also exploring, you know, other things that are, you know, yeah. if you're a scientist, you can't just sit there and <clears throat> dismiss other sources of evidence just because you like, if you're going to confirmation bias your way through religion or spirituality, you're never going to find it like, yeah, I mean, uh, if they do that, it's considered obstruction of justice if you hide a piece of evidence because it doesn't fit with the rest of your theory. Yeah. If you lose it on the way to wherever you're supposed to be, that evidence lock up because you decide that one piece is going to make them... Oops. Well, it's going to let a guilty person walk if I submit that to evidence. Or maybe the person's not guilty, which is why I would let them walk. Like, yeah. the way people think these things through is, like, you can't just ignore facts because it's not what you initially thought or what you currently agree with in your mind. Like, yeah, it's not the and... way the world works. And why, like, if you are so firm in your faith, yeah. I would say then what's the harm in reading other religion scriptures to see what you can learn? Just because you're reading it doesn't mean you have to agree with what you're reading. Yeah. But if you read it with an open mind, then it makes you, it will make you question certain things or maybe it will, you will think, well, wow, I've thought this all along. This is an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. It at least creates like a discussion in your mind yeah. or that you can have with other people, which is why we do this. Yeah. It's really nice. <clears throat> uh, was it you? I'm sorry. No, you're in the middle of the last bit here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the relationship between the individual soul and God. And when this relationship is destroyed, it is said that the individual soul exists in maya or illusion. When the relationship is restored, the individual is situated in his spiritual consciousness, Krishna consciousness, by which he understands that the Supreme God is the actual enjoyer and that we are his servants. God is the actual enjoyer and proprietor as well as the Supreme Being. When we understand God's transcendental qualities, we become happy and attain peace. And that is the end of chapter five cool oh um so i think we can kind of stop this one and then move into the next one okay um we kind of had our wrap-up talk about this already so thank you guys for listening don't forget to share with a friend and yeah see you in the next one